Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of the Not Your Mama's Autism Podcast. I'm Lola Dada Ali. In our previous episode, we discussed how three Black parents talk to, or plan to talk to, their children about race. In the current episode, we begin a two-part series that will focus on a different form of intersectionality. One that includes the cross-section of gender and neurodivergence. As one grows up and lives a little bit more life with each passing day, it's common to reflect back on things our parents said when dealing with similar hills and valleys in life. My mom, a mother to an autistic child with an intellectual disability, just like me, used to tell me that even though she was going through a lot raising my baby brother in a largely intolerant world, at least he wasn't a girl. She would tell me that if he was a girl, there would be another level of challenges that we would need to consider both the biological and social variety. What I didn't realize was just how much I had internalized her sayings when my daughter was now diagnosed decades later. When I had been going to my son's therapy sessions months prior to our daughter's diagnoses, I saw mostly boys. The girls getting therapy were few and far between. According to the CDC, boys are four times more likely to be diagnosed than girls. I also came across research, like such noted in the British Psychological Society, stating that autism in women may present differently than what is typically seen in men. Furthermore, it appeared that women were often misdiagnosed since people weren't used to seeing autistic women. Where there is just starting to be more research when it comes to autistic women generally, when it comes to autistic women of color, there's not much out there at all. But when I see Ayana Davis, a Black autistic artist from New York, I see a vibrant, resilient woman who is openly sharing her journey in very vivid ways on social media. Ayana was gracious enough to meet with me so that we could talk more about not only life on the spectrum, but life generally. I hope you enjoy it and get something out of it. So very much for joining us on the Not Your Mama's Autism podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's just start at the beginning. Tell us about yourself. I'm an artist, author, illustrator, a former choreographer, um, a lover of all arts, and um, just trying to continue to learn about myself as much as I can with living with autism and being neurodivergent. So tell us a little bit more about that. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from New York, and that's where I, I am now. I'm still in New York, um, Westchester County. Um, it's a, how long is it from the city? 
40 minutes by train. It's 40 minutes by train from the city. That's my dad. Hi, dad. How are you? He said hi. hi. He said hi. (laughs) (laughs) So you tell us more about, so you're an artist in the New York area. You're already painting a picture in people's minds. Obviously, that's a major art center in America. So tell us about a recent project you've worked on that that's brought you joy and why? Something that I recently did that's brought me joy was illustrate my children's book that's coming out. Um, The reason it brought me joy was because I chose to not focus on what people would call the bad parts of autism. I chose to focus on the good parts and I chose to focus on the fact that you can still flourish in life if you're autistic. So it just that just brought me joy. And then a few of the people who have seen it, they said that it, it made them really happy. So just like other people being happy makes me happy. So when is this book coming out? Uh, well, me being the perfectionist that I am, um, I made a change. So it won't be probably, it'll probably be like at the end of May now, which is fine with me. First, I wanted it to come out during Autism Awareness Month, but I, you know, that doesn't matter to me anymore because once this month is over, there's still going to be autistic people and there's still going to be things that people need to learn about us. So now it's absolutely fine that it's not coming out for Autism Awareness Month. The passion is coming out in your voice. It's so clear. What drives you to do this type of work? Well, I like to um, learn about as much as I can about myself. And I learned by doing these type of things, I could learn about myself and um, I could learn about other people, the things we have in common, if we click, if we don't click. And art is my biggest form of communication as someone who um, has nonverbal episodes and at time um, a speech impediment. Um, Art is my biggest form of communication. So I may be having a nonverbal episode, but I can sit down and I can draw you a picture and express the way that I'm feeling or even things that are going on in the world. I might not be able to verbally express it, but I can sit down and draw a picture about the way that it's making me feel. So let's talk about your diagnosis. So media reports state that you were first diagnosed in 2015. Is that correct? Yes. So you mentioned nonverbal episodes. When did you first realize that you could be neurodivergent? Well, I, it was a therapist actually who, um, he just mentioned it to me. Like I was just in my regular therapy session and he just started asking me a bunch of questions and I was getting a little irritated with him. I was like, why are you asking me these questions? But then he was like, oh, do you know, has anyone ever told you that you may be on the spectrum? And I was just like, no, but then he was just like, so what are you going to have for dinner? And I'm just like, okay, well, you're just like giving me this big piece of information and then just moving on. I'd like more information if it can help me learn better about myself. So um, I always knew that I was different because I don't think there's anything wrong with me. Like people used to say, what's wrong with her? There's nothing wrong with me, but I always knew that I was different, but I didn't know like I didn't know what what the reason that made me different. 
So um, I had no, autism never came to mind because of, mainly because of like a lot of the stereotypes that are out there that are like, you know, only little white boys have autism and black people don't get autism. So no, it never crossed my mind until somebody, until it was brought to my attention by my therapist. So when it was brought to your attention, how did you feel when you first heard those words? Um, The first time I heard it, I thought about it like probably the rest of the night, but then I was just like, oh, he don't know what he's talking about. And I just, I just like kept, kept, kept my life moving. And when I first heard about it, but when I got my actual diagnosis, um, I was upset. I was like, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted to hear. But I was also relieved because it made me understand myself better. Um, I understood why I had issues communicating. I understood why I can't always look people in the eye. I understood why um, art is my go-to for anything. So while it was um, not exactly what I wanted to hear, it was also a relief because it helped me understand myself better because I've never fully understood myself. I still don't, I'm still learning, but it was a relief. I think everyone is still learning about themselves. You are not alone there <laughs> at all. Um, so before then, first of all, what age were you when you were diagnosed? In my 30s. In your 30s, okay. Yeah. So before then, were you misdiagnosed? Were you diagnosed um, with something else? I've just, I've just always been told that like I was um, depressed or had anxiety, Um, But that, again, wasn't until I was an adult. Like, nobody really said anything when I was a child except, oh, she's bad. Or how come she don't say hi back and you say hello to her? So as a child, I've heard, as an adult, I've heard it, but not as a child. Now that you've had years to process your diagnosis, do you wish you had been diagnosed sooner? Um, No, I don't. I don't. I think that everything happens exactly when it's supposed to happen and exactly the way that it happens. So, and I also don't believe in like suffering. Like I had challenges, but I just feel like it happened when it was supposed to happen. Like I really like at that point in my life, I needed, I needed the answers at that point. So Medical studies have revealed that women tend to, autistic women tend to be misdiagnosed, especially Mm -hmm. those that tend to be diagnosed later on in adulthood. Through your own perspective, through your own story, why do you think women are often misdiagnosed? Um, I don't feel like, I feel like the face of autism for so long has been little white boys that they don't really take it into consideration um, that that might be what's wrong with a female. And also women who are neurodivergent, we're very good at masking so we can appear to be normal. And you may not know, like, if I'm really comfortable with you, you're going to be like, um, yes, I'm wrong with her. <laughs> Even though I don't think nothing's wrong with me. But like, if I'm really comfortable around you, the more comfortable I am, the more you can tell that 
that I have autism and if I'm just meeting you, I really have my guard up and I'm really masking, which I shouldn't be doing because masking is very dangerous. It can lead to sensory overload. It can lead to meltdowns, but it's just, we're just better at hiding it. So you being, uh, we talked about masking and you and women on the spectrum, but being a black woman on the spectrum, I mean, I could only imagine maybe an additional layer of needing protection for various reasons since Black women sit at that intersection of racism and sexism. So when you got your diagnosis at first, did you know of any other Black women that were also on the spectrum? No, I did not. I actually um, didn't meet any until I got on Instagram with it about a year and a half ago. Before then, I didn't know any Black females with autism. Um, I've seen like a few children um, online, but as far as like adult women, no, not, not one. Has someone ever told you that you don't look autistic? Yes. <laughs> yes. All the time. And I'm just like, like, I don't, I, I get what they're saying and why they might be saying that, but I really want to know, like, okay, well, what does somebody with autism look like? Can you, can you please let me know? So it's just really weird. You don't look autistic. And I'm just like, um, well, let's see, it's a spectrum. So nobody's going to be the same, first of all. But it's just, <clears throat> excuse me, it's just really a very odd question for me. And I hear that all the time. Was there a recent time where you felt like you had to mask and it was hurtful to you? Um, not recently, you know, we've been in quarantine, so I hadn't really had to get out and do anything. Um, there have been times in the past where, um, even before my diagnosis, where I felt like where I was masking, but didn't realize I was masking. It, it can make you feel like somewhat of like, you don't fit in and that you don't belong because you can't be your true self because you're afraid of being rejected or just being judged, not for who you are as a person, but just for the way you were born. So tell us a little bit about quarantine. Do you feel like quarantine has helped you in some ways? Um, I do. It, It was hard because, you know, like I'm big on routine. So like being thrown off of my routine was like hell. And I'm like, and they were like, okay, quarantine for two weeks. Y'all can get back to y'all normal lives. Okay, well, it's been over a year now. So at first, it was very, very difficult to adjust. Some of my therapies that were just better in person um, had stopped because of quarantine. So that really, like, affected me. And I just had to, like, start finding ways to... um express myself and get my emotions out. And I, I started to draw a lot more than, than usual and like really like get more in touch with my creative side, which I had probably been neglecting when we weren't in quarantine, just not expressing myself at all. So it kind of like forced me to get back in touch with my creative side. But in the beginning, yes, it was very, very difficult, especially in April. And I was just like, all right, we'll see how we're going to get through this. 
you are very active on social media and you're very (laughs) open about your journey. Like you're very, you just feel the authenticity like ooze through your (laughs) IG profile. How did you go about making the decision to be so open? Um, I don't know if I made that decision on purpose or if it, it feels like it kind of just happened. Like, um, I needed a way to like express myself and, um, you know, find people who were like me because I didn't know anybody in person. So I just, just started like sharing some of the things that I went through and followed the, um, autism hashtag and, I don't know. I just, I don't know why I'm so open. I think it kind of makes me feel better because I know that there are other people out there going through the same thing. I'm not alone. And the other people going through that out there, you're not alone either. So I think that's like maybe the biggest reason why I do share so much because sometimes people just need to know that they're not alone and that there are others who the same way, but have a lot of the similar feelings and similar struggles. How do you think, again, through your own eyes, through your own unique journey, how do you think society can be better at overcoming their misconceptions? Because I'm looking at a beautiful Black woman who has been told time and time again, (laughs) who has been told time and time again that she doesn't look autistic. So how, through your unique journey, what advice would you give others who have these misconceptions of what autism looks like? I just would say, like, do your research. Like, if you know someone who who has autism, if you have a friend who has autism, or even if you have a friend with autistic children, just do a little bit of research. And But you should also, like, not just rely on your research. You should also rely on, like, your emotions. Like, get to know the person, get to know their interests, what they like, what they don't like, because that's also very important. You don't want to uh, cause any meltdowns or shutdowns or burnouts. So, and, and get to know what the children like. So I would just say, you know, don't, don't judge the person, get to know the person. And because like, you don't know what's behind that autism diagnosis. You don't know the person, a person is, a person is not just an autism diagnosis. They are an actual person with actual feelings, actual interests. So I would just say, get to know the person, do your research, but also get to know the person. Don't just go by the facts and the statistics. Go off of emotion, go off of care, go off of love. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about Ayana's journey, please follow her on Instagram at Phenomenally Autistic. For links to the research I mentioned earlier in this episode, please check out our show notes. If you like what you hear, please share, subscribe, and leave a review if you haven't already done so. For those new listeners who are interested in the genesis of this podcast, please check us out at notyourmamasautism.com and follow us on Instagram at notyourmamasautism. In our next episode, the final episode of our season, we will be expounding upon our Women on the Spectrum segment by speaking to a writer, author, and diversity and inclusion leader at an engineering firm recognized for its hiring practices. Like Ayana, she's autistic, and she too has a perspective on life that is worth hearing about. See you soon.
Not Your Mama's Autism podcast is hosted and written by my mom, Lola Dada Ali, and it's also co-written and produced by me, Fella Ali. My dad, little sister Alero, and I are all occasional contributors. My dad, Tosin Ali, also helps produce sometimes. Big thanks to my aunt, Wolane Williams Ali, who did our graphic design. See you guys soon.